0: CHAPTER Thirty-Three OF THE RANCHMAN BY CHARLES ALDEN SELTZER THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RETRIBUTION Twice descending the long slope leading to the basin, Martha's horse stumbled. The first time, the Negro woman lifted him to his feet by jerking sharply on the reins. But when he stumbled the second time, Martha was not alert and the horse went to his knees unprepared martha was jolted out of the saddle and she fell awkwardly landing on her right shoulder with a force that knocked the breath out of her she lay for a short time gasping her body racked with pain and at last when she succeeded in getting to her feet the horse had strayed some little distance from her and was quietly browsing the tops of some saccaton. It was several minutes before Martha caught the animal, several minutes during which she loosed some picturesque and original profanity that caused the experienced range horse to raise his ears inquiringly. Then, when she caught the horse, she had some trouble getting into the saddle, though she succeeded after a while, groaning and grunting and whimpering but martha forgot her pains and misery once she was in the saddle again and she rode fast trembling with eagerness her sympathies and her concern solely for the white girl who she supposed was a prisoner in the hands of the ruthless and unprincipled man that martha with her limited vocabulary had termed many a times a rapscallion Martha headed her horse straight for the Malarkey cabin, guided by a faint shaft of light that issued from one of its windows. When she reached the cabin, she found no one there but Mrs. Malarkey. Ben, Mrs. Malarkey told Martha, had gone to Dawes. In fact, he had been in Dawes all day, she supposed, for he had left home early that morning. Martha gasped out her news, and Mrs. Mullarky's face whitened. While Martha watched her in astonishment, she tore off the gingham apron that adorned her, threw it into a corner, and ran into another room, from which she emerged an instant later, carrying a rifle. The Irish woman's face was pale and set, and the light of a great wrath gleamed in her eyes. Martha awed by the woman's belligerent appearance, could only stand back and blink at her, her mouth gaping with astonishment. "'You go right on to the arrow,' she commanded Martha as she went out the door. "'Maybe you'll find somebody there by this time, and if you do, send them to the big house. I'm going over there right this minute to take that dear little girl away from that big brute.' She started while Martha was again painfully mounting her horse, and the two women rode away in opposite directions, Martha whimpering with pain, and Mrs. Malarkey silent, grim, with a wild rage gripping her heart. Taylor on Spotted Tail was approaching the Arrow Ranch House at a speed slightly greater than that into which the big horse had fallen shortly after he had left the gorge the spirited animal was just warming to his work and he was doing his best when he flashed past the big cattle corral going with the noise of rushing wind in an instant he was at the long stretch of fence which formed the ranch yard side of the horse corral and in another instant he was sliding to a halt near the edge of the front porch of the ranch house itself there he drew a deep breath and looked inquiringly at his master while the latter slid off his back leaped upon the porch and with a bound crossed the front porch knocking chairs helter-skelter as he went the house was dark but taylor ran through the rooms calling sharply for parsons and marion but receiving no reply when he emerged from the house, his face, in the light of the moon that had climbed above the horizon some time before, was like that of a man who has just looked upon the dead face of his best friend. For Taylor was convinced that he had looked upon death in the ranch house, upon the death of his hopes. He stood for an instant on the porch while his passions raged through him, and then, with a laugh of bitter humor, he leaped on Spotted Tail. Halfway to the malarkey cabin, with a big horse running like the wind, Taylor saw a shape looming out of the darkness ahead of him. He pulled Spotted Tail down and loosed one of his pistols and approached the shape warily, his muscles stiff and taut and ready for action. But it was only Martha who rode up to him, her fortitude gone her pains convulsing her. She wailed to Taylor the story of the night's tragic adventure. And Carrington's got Missy in the big house, she concluded. She fought him powerful hard, but it was no use. That rapscallion, too much for her. She shouted the last words at Taylor, for Spotted Tail had received a jab in his sides with the that hurt him cruelly and, angered, he ran like a deer with the hungry cry of the wolf pack in his ears, like a black streak, they rushed by Mrs. Mullarky, who breathed a fervent, "Oh, thank the Lord, it's Taylor and Before the good woman could catch her breath again, spotted tail and his rider had opened a huge yawning space between himself and the laboring horse. The woman rode. Riding with all his muscles taut as a bowstring and a terrible constricting pressure across his chest, so mighty were the savage passions that rioted within him, Taylor reached the foot of the long slope that led to the big house and sent Spotted Tail tearing upward with rapid, desperate leaps. When Carrington reached the big house, soon after he had unknowingly passed Marion Harlan, and Parsons on the river trail, he was in a sullen, impatient mood. For no word concerning Keats's movements had reached Dawes, and Carrington was afflicted with a gloomy presentiment that something had happened to the man, that he had not been able to locate Taylor, or that he had found him, and Taylor had succeeded in escaping him. Carrington did not go at once into the house. For captive, though she was, and completely within his power, he did not want the girl to see him in his present mood. Lighting a cigar and chewing it viciously, he walked to the stable. There, standing in the shadow of the building, he came upon the guard Martha had routed. He spoke sharply to the man, asking him why he was not inside guarding the nigger. The man brazenly announced that Martha had escaped him, omitting certain details and substituting others from his imagination. "'If she hadn't been a woman now,' added the man in self-extenuation. Carrington laughed lowly. "'We didn't need her anyway,' he said, and the other laughed with him. The laugh restored Carrington's good nature and he left the man and went into the front room of the house. Had he paused on the porch to listen, or had he glanced toward the big slope that dropped to the basin, he would not have entered the house just then, and he would have paused on the porch, had it not been that the intensity of his desire drove him to concentrate all his senses upon Marion. He crossed the porch and entered the room, and then halted staring downward with startled eyes at the body of the guard huddled on the floor, a thin stream of blood staining the carpet beneath his head. Cursing, Carrington stepped into the other room, the room in which he had fought with Taylor, the room in which he had left Marion Harlan bound and sitting on a chair. The lamp on the shelf was still burning, and in its light, Carrington saw the rope he had used to bind the girl's hands. A bitter rage seized him as he looked at the rope, and he threw it from him, cursing. In an instant he was outside the house and had leaped upon his horse. He headed the animal toward the long slope leading to the arrow trail, for he suspected the girl would go straight back there. DESPITE ANY CONVICTION SHE MIGHT HAVE OF TAYLOR'S GUILT, FOR THERE SHE WOULD FIND PARSONS, WHO WOULD GIVE HER WHAT COMFORT HE COULD, OR SHE MIGHT STOP AT THE Malarkey CABIN. CERTAINLY, SHE WOULD NOT GO TO DAWES, FOR SHE MUST KNOW THAT HE RULED DAWES. PARSONS MUST HAVE TOLD HER THAT, AND THAT IF SHE WENT TO DAWES, SHE WOULD BE MERELY POSTPONING HER SURRENDER TO HIM. He had plenty of time, even if she were in Dawes. He meditated as he sent his horse over the crest of the slope, for there were no trains out of town during the night, and if she were not at the Arrow or Malarkey's, he was sure to catch her later. He was halfway down the slope, his horse making slow work of threading its way through the gnarled chaparral growth, when, looking downward he saw another horse leaping up the slope toward him. In the glare of the moon that was behind Carrington, he could see horse and rider distinctly, and he jerked his own horse to a halt, cursing horribly. For the horse that was leaping toward him, like a black demon out of the night, was Spotted Tail, and Spotted Tail's rider was Taylor. Carrington could see the man's face with the terrible passion that distorted it, and Carrington wheeled his horse, making frenzied efforts to escape up the slope. Carrington was not more than a hundred feet from the big black horse and its indomitable rider when he wheeled his own animal, and he had not traveled more than a few feet when he realized that spotted tail was gaining rapidly. Cursing again, Though his face was ghastly with the fear that had seized him, Carrington slipped from his horse and running around so that the animal was between him and Taylor, he drew a heavy pistol from a hip pocket. And when the oncoming horse and rider were within twenty five or thirty feet of him, Carrington took deliberate aim and fired. He grinned vindictively as he saw Taylor reel in the saddle and he fired again and saw Taylor drop to the ground beside Spotted Tail. Carrington could not tell whether his second shot had struck Taylor, and before he could shoot again, Taylor dove headlong toward a jagged rock that thrust a bulgy shoulder upward. Carrington threw a snap-shot at him as he leaped, but again he could not have told whether the bullet had gone home. Keeping the horse between himself and the rock behind which Taylor had thrown himself, Carrington leaped behind another that stood near the edge of the chaparral clump through which he had been riding when he had seen Taylor coming up the slope. Seeming to sense their danger, both horses slowly moved off out of the line of fire and proceeded unconcernedly to browse the clumps of grass that dotted the side of the slope and now began a long, strained silence. Carrington could see Taylor's rock, but it was at the edge of the chaparral, and Taylor might easily slip into the chaparral and begin a circling movement that would bring him behind Carrington. The thought brought a damp sweat upon Carrington's forehead, and he began to cast fearing glances toward the chaparral at his side. He watched it long, and the longer he watched, the greater grew his fear. And at last, at the end of a half an hour, the fear grew to a conviction that Taylor was stalking him in the chaparral. No longer able to endure the suspense, Carrington left the shelter of his rock and began to work his way around the edge of the chaparral clump. Taylor had felt the heat and the shock of Carrington's first bullet, and he knew... had gone into his left arm the second bullet had missed him cleanly and he landed behind the rock with all his senses alert paying no attention to his wound he had recognized carrington and with the cold calm that comes with implacable determination taylor instantly began to take an inventory of the hazards and advantages of his position and after his examination was concluded he dropped to his hands and knees and began to work his way into the chaparral he moved cautiously for he knew that should he disturb the rank growth he would disclose his whereabouts to carrington should the latter have gained a vantageous point from where he could watch the thicket for just such signs of taylor's presence but Taylor made no such signs. He had not spent the greater part of his life in the open to be outdone in this grim strategy by an Eastern man. He grinned wickedly at the thought. He suspected that Carrington might try the very trick he himself was trying, and that thought made him wary. Working his way into the thicket, he at last reached a point near its center upon a slight mound surrounded by stunt oak and quivering aspen. There, concealed and alert, he waited for Carrington to show himself. Carrington, though, did not betray his presence in the thicket, for Carrington was not in the thicket when Taylor reached its center. Carrington had started into the thicket, but he had not proceeded very far when he began to be afflicted with a dread premonition of Taylor's presence somewhere in the vicinity. A clammy sweat broke out on the big man. A panic of fear seized him, and he began to creep backward out of the thicket. And by the time Taylor reached his vantageous point, Carrington was crouching at the thicket's edge, near the rock where he had been concealed, oppressed with a conviction that Taylor was working his way toward him through the thicket. The big man waited, his nerves taut, his muscles quivering, and cringing at the thought that at any instant a bullet sent at him by Taylor might strike him. For he knew that Taylor had come for him. He was now convinced that Marion Harlan had gone to the Arrow, that she had told Taylor what had happened to her, and that Taylor had come straight to the big house to punish him For his misdeeds. And Carrington had a dread of the sort of punishment Taylor had dealt him upon a former occasion, and he wanted no more of it. That was why he had used his pistol instantly upon recognizing Taylor. He wished now that he had not been so hasty, for he had taken the initiative, and Taylor would not scruple to imitate him. In fact, he was so certain that at that moment, Taylor was creeping upon him from some point, with the fury of murder in his heart, that he got to his feet and, looking over the top of the rock, searched with wild eyes for his horse. And when he saw the animal not more than twenty or thirty feet from him, he could no longer resist the panic that had seized him. Crouching, he ran for several yards on his hands and feet, and then, nearing his horse, he stood upright and ran for it. As he ran, he cringed, for he expected a pistol shot to greet his appearance at the side of his horse. But no report came, and he reached the horse, threw himself into the saddle, and raced the animal down the slope. He was conscious of a pulse of elation, for he thought he had eluded Taylor. But just as his horse struck the edge of the big level, Carrington looked back to see Spotted Tail slipping down the slope with a smooth swiftness that terrified the big man. He turned then and began to ride as he had never ridden before. The animal under him was strong, courageous, and speedy, but Carrington knew that he would have need all of those sterling qualities if he hoped to escape the iron-hearted horse Taylor bestrode. And so Carrington leaned forward, trying to lighten the load, slapping the beast's neck with the palm of his hand, urging him with his voice, coaxing him to the best endeavors. For Carrington knew that somewhere in the vast experience of grassland and spread before him, Keats and his men must be. And his only hope lay in reaching them before the avenger astride the big horse that was speeding on his trail, like a black thunderbolt, could bring his rider within pistol-shot distance of him. But Carrington had not gone more than half a mile when he realized that the race was to be a short one. Twice after leaving the edge of the slope, Carrington looked back. The first-time spotted tail seemed to be far away. The next time the big black animal was so close that Carrington cried out hoarsely. And then Carrington felt the distance being shortened, as he felt the presence of the black horse almost at the withers of his own animal, heard the breathing of the big pursuing beast. He knew that he was not to be shot. Before he could swing his own horse to escape, the big black horse was beside his own, and one of Taylor's arms shot out, the fingers gripping the collar of the big man's coat. Then, with a vicious pull, swinging the black horse wide, Taylor jerked Carrington out of the saddle, so that he fell sideways into the deep grass, while the black horse, eager for a run, and not immediately responded to Taylor's pull on the reins, ran some feet before he halted and wheeled. And when he did finally face toward the spot where the big man had been jerked from the saddle, it was to face a succession of flame streaks that shot from the spot where Carrington stood, trying his best to send into Taylor a bullet that would put an end to the horrible presentiment of death that now filled the big man's heart. He emptied his pistol and saw the black horse coming steadily toward him, its rider erect in the saddle, seeming not to heed the savagely barking weapon and when the gun was empty, Carrington threw it from him and began to run. He ran, and with grim mockery, Taylor followed him at a little distance. Followed him until Carrington, exhausted, his breath coming in great coughing gasps, could run no farther. And then Taylor brought the Big Black to a halt near him, slid easy out of the saddle, and stepped forward to look into Carrington's face his own stiff and set, his eyes gleaming with a passion that made the other man groan hopelessly. "'Now, you miserable whelp,' said Taylor. He lunged forward, and the bodies of the two men made a swaying blot, out of which came the sounds of blows, bitter and savage. The little broken-nosed man laughed a little in recollection of Carrington's words about Martha. The big man had let him off easily, and he was properly grateful, and yet his gratitude did not prevent him from betraying curiosity. And he watched the front of the house for Carrington's reappearance, wondering what he meant to do with the white girl, now that he had her. Still watching the front porch, he saw Carrington run for his horse, leap upon it, and sink down the side of the slope the little man then ran to the front of the house and concealed among the trees watched the duel that was waged in the moonlight he saw carrington break from the thicket mount his horse and race out into the plain he saw taylor for he had recognized him send spotted tail after carrington but he did not see the finish of the race nor did he see what followed but some minutes later he saw a big black horse tearing toward him from the spot where the race had ended. He muttered gutturally and profanely, and leaped on his horse and sent it plunging down the trail towards Dawes, his face ghastly with fear. End of chapter 33